Um, we are going to be in uh, Psalm chapter 13. If you have your Bibles uh, today, you can turn there, or your phones, you could tap and swipe there, whatever it is. Uh, we're continuing our series, uh, Living Out Loud. <clears throat> We've looked through uh, the past couple weeks of uh, Psalms of wisdom and Psalms of praise, and we're going to be digging into uh, thankfulness and instruction in the future. But today we're looking at Psalms of lament as uh, Lexi had mentioned. And, and <clears throat> before we dig in, we need to understand Psalms was written, the book of Psalms was written over a thousand year period. So this isn't, the, these aren't, when, when we receive instructions out of the Psalms, these aren't uh, short little um, eras that maybe was wisdom for that specific time. That these, This is really a wisdom and instructions that we gain from the book of Psalms that really are a collection of um, a, a large span of people's life and experiences. <clears throat> so as we look in uh, today at Lament, keep in mind that, that, that the Psalms will give instructions on uh, lamenting over a, a vast period of time. And so it's something we should actually pay attention to if we're going to be gaining uh, wisdom, as uh, Dale taught. <clears throat> I uh, titled this In the Shadow of Sorrow uh, this week, and um, sometimes that's where we feel like we can live, isn't it? Um, at some point in our lives, we all encounter situations that bring excruciating pain, despair, or uh, disillusionment. Um, and really, for such is the human journey, isn't it? As Christians, we don't grieve like those without hope, uh, but we do grieve, or as the Bible terms it, we lament. Today, I hope we'll discover uh, the profound significance of the difference of grief versus lament and how lament can actually bring us out of the shadows of sorrow. <clears throat> Lamenting or crying out isn't something we tend to do well, though, for a variety of reasons, whether it be our own history of not expressing emotions, um, our lack of understanding, our belief uh, that it's a sign of weakness. It's kind of the home I grew up in. Um, whatever the reason is, we have to come to grips with the reality that is part of our human experience in a broken world. And for me, I, I, I've gone through a lot of different situations of grieving and, and, didn't, and, and circumstances um, that I didn't know how to lament. I just knew grief. But for me, grief meant you just tuck it away and you move on with your life. And what I discovered was that no matter how deep down I tucked it, it was going to come out somewhere and almost always in an unhealthy manner. I lost a very close friend of mine in 2017. Um, and... Uh, uh, it was it was extremely unexpected. The the kind of guy that weren't making the choices that could lead to a death necessarily in his life. He was a, a father of two um, middle school daughters that were in my youth group at the time. Um, beautiful wife, just a beautiful family. Loved God, served people, um, spent so much time helping the youth in our community down in Eastern Washington. Just an amazing man. And he, he died of a heart attack. Um, he was about 42, died of a heart attack. He was a guy that was about 330 pounds, a, a former Marine, not fat, in shape, good, healthy man that you would think, man, this guy's going to have a lifelong of fruit. Um, and he, he, he died. And actually, he died listening to his favorite worship song. Just, just uh, um, an incredible life. But it just, it, it, I, I had just moved up to Washington a couple years, or up to Alaska from Washington a couple years 
um, prior to this happening, and it just hit me hard. And it, and it, and you know, I, I, we each grieve in a different way. And and where I was at in that process was I was in a place that nobody else knew this man. They didn't know my my wife did. My kids uh, spent time with him, but they were super young. And so my wife was really the only one who understood at all the person I was grieving over. And I was actually grieving more for his family and, uh, and the loss of him and the community that lost an amazing man than I was for his death because I knew that, that he was uh, saved. But nobody around me understood what, the depths of which I was grieving. And so it feels like you're sitting in the shadows of sorrow. But how do we grieve? What do we do with grief? What do we do with despair? I mean, we can bring all kinds of emotions to God and never really move beyond that. You see, grieving is different than lamenting. Everyone grieves. Everyone, everyone in, in human history will or has grieved at some point for some purpose. Maybe we've already learned how to turn that grief into lamenting, and we're going to look at the difference of that this morning. But if you've already been through that grief and, and, and great loss and have developed the discipline of lamenting, then I would encourage you that you, you are in a, in a position and, and a, a, a place in life that you can help others through that. In fact, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 5, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those that are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. One thing I know for sure is that if we have not yet gone through grief and loss, we certainly will. Our kids downstairs, they will deal with great grief in their life at some point. You and I, as I've said it before and I'll continue to say it, you live long enough, you bleed. And that's just the reality of the brokenness, not God's design or his intentions for humanity, but it is the reality of the world that we live in. So we need to prepare ourselves to go through grief, to understand how to go through grief and help others go through that. I turned 40 this year. Um, that's about halfway through my life, hopefully a little less than halfway, but I'm I'm trying to be a realist. <laughs> uh, and statistically, around age 25 to 30, uh, tragedy begins striking closer and closer to home. And it continues to get closer the older you get. The death of a grandparent, maybe in your teens, become a death of a parent in your 20s or 30s, which becomes the death of an aunt or a sibling or a child. Closer to home it lives, and harder and harder it gets. Maybe it's financial hardships, uh, strike, maybe it's uh, relational or separations, divorce, disease. You enter the dark night of the soul where you feel utterly alone and abandoned by everyone and abandoned by the God that you thought you were, you were putting so much hope in and all these things, you just hit this darkness of life that you just don't know how to, um, how to get through. You're in the valleys of the shadow of death. Many, if not most of us, have our own stories of loss and grief already. If not, it'll come. It's just a reality of, of our experience. 
Some of those losses were, were timely and expected. Others were untimely and unexpected. But all of, all of our losses cause us suffering and grief. And although we don't grieve like those without hope, we do grieve. So what do we do with this? The, the pain is real. The heaviness is real. The hardship is real. Seems like the length is forever sometimes. The songs of praise become tainted by anger and bitterness. Thoughts like, how could God do this to us? We trusted him and he failed me. Family gathers around a grave of a child. Through their tears, they ask, why did God desert us in our time of need? Your family is torn apart by rivalry. You lose your job. Your child rebels and on and on. And your prayers no longer begin with a smile or thoughts of thankfulness or blessing. Now they're with deep sighs of silence and sadness. And all we can do is get out, God, oh God. We find ourselves angry, confused, overwhelmed, and depressed. It's not a prayer of praise we need, but a song of lament. A song of a true expression of our hearts. And what happens is is we oftentimes come to the Lord with this expectations that I commit my life to Jesus and he makes all my problems go away. That that I'm I'm gonna put my faith and hope in Jesus and now I get to live my best life now. And so we come to Jesus in this moment and then life begins to happen in our faith. And what happens is when we, when we start to become disillusioned with the reality that, that we don't get to live our best life now in the terms of, of, of this physical world, but we have, we have obtained a salvation, but we will still have troubles as Jesus promised that we will have many in troubles, but take heart, he has overcome the world. The disciples, Jesus himself, the martyrs, those who have suffered in the, in the path of their faith all did so with faith in Christ. And so we, we need to understand that we come to the Lord and we say, okay, here's where my faith and here's where my hope is, but then suffering begins and circumstances begin to take place and there begins to grow this chasm between what we thought we knew about God and what our experience now is. And that chasm gets wider and wider because it doesn't seem right that God would allow us to walk through suffering. And so we begin to push him to the side and say, you know, I don't know if I can trust a God that allows suffering. God, where were you when this happened? How long are you gonna let me suffer, God? And that that distance grows wider and wider and wider because we don't understand how God can be merciful and yet allow us to suffer. See, whenever we're angry or bitter, or confused at God, most of us feel like it's wrong to admit those feelings to God. Our tendency is to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and get over it. Just muster up the strength, get through it. Sometime it'll, it'll pass by. <clears throat> you know, time heals all, but it doesn't. Time allows us to stuff it deeper and deeper. And that's not what God intended. I think two of the things that we, we must learn is one, how to walk through grief ourselves and how to take grief and bring it to the, the reality of the gift of lament, and two, how to walk with others as they grow, go through grief as well. 
See, I've, I've discovered uh, even in, in counseling that people are, are oftentimes unfamiliar or uncomfortable with lament, right? Like you, you, you go up and ask someone, hey, how are you? How, how's it going, man? Oh, I'm good, brother. I'm good, brother. And because there's an awkwardness, even if your life's wrecked inside, there's this t- tendency we say, oh, everything's good. Everything's good. Uh, but then you have those times that someone will come up and ask you, or you go up and ask someone and they just start spilling out what's actually going on in their life. And you're just kind of like, like a deer in the headlights, like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be reserved on asking this question in the future. It's just uncomfortable. We're not used to it. Some react with visible discomfort. Uh, others react, react with awkward silence, quickly change the subject. Others move to finding the bright side. Um, this, is, this is when people mean well, but they often say things like, um, well, I'm sure the Lord will give you another baby. Or uh, maybe more will come to faith because of the death of your son. Or don't worry, all things work for the, for the good at those that love them. Well, they're in a better place. And I've heard all these. I've heard, I've heard these exact phrases by well-meaning people, not malicious, just don't know how to deal with the realities of, of heaviness, of grief. But here's the problem. While all these sayings might be true, the person that's mourning isn't in the better place, are we? It's not malicious, just heavy and awkward. So I think it's imperative that we know how to lament well for our own sake and for the sake of others. And we need to understand that lamenting is a gift of God to help those of us in a broken world. It is not something that is unnatural to God's interaction with humanity. It's something that God gifted us to do well, and we don't do it alone. Jesus was a man of sorrows. He grieved over all kinds of things. And the, same, and the things that grieve the, the heart of God oftentimes grieve our hearts. Maybe you've read about the stages of grief people go through, <clears throat> denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And these are all helpful to a degree, but it can miss the importance and the benefit of lamenting. See, if we're not careful with ourselves or with others, we'll actually sidestep this gift and instead try to rush to the end of it, which is our natural tendency, right? I know especially guys, man, it is like if if pain comes, just deal with it and get over it, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain, whatever, just get through it and keep moving moving on. And and it's not a mystery that, that men typically have all kinds of issues buried in their hearts that they live with their entire years. And if we don't lament well, we'll always end up medicating in some form. And bitterness will eventually take root. See, Job, it reminds me, lost his family, lost his wealth, his prosperity, his health, pretty much everything. And this is what Job says to God in chapter 30, verses 20 and 22. It says, I cry to you for help and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look at me. You have turned cruel to me with the might of your hand. You're, you persecute me. You lift me up on the wind. You make me ride on it and you toss me about in the roar of the storm. Anyone ever felt that way? 
See, as, as confused and hurt as he was about what was happening, Job still found that going to God was actually the only place to go. This is the difference in grieving versus lamenting. This is the beginning process of, of taking our grief and beginning to lament over it. It's beginning to open up to God about what is actually going on in our hearts. And, and when, you, when you hear this from Job, like this man has lost everything. He's been a righteous man. He's not brought this on himself. And he still says, I cry to you for help and you don't answer. I stand and you only look at me. It says, you lift me up on wind, you make me ride on it, and you toss me about in the roar of the storm, just beating me back and forth. I mean, this is pretty strong verbiage that, that Job is using, and yet this is, how, this is what Job's experiencing, and he takes it to the Lord. See, if you're angry, if you're confused, God already knows it. He's not intimidated by what's going on in us. The Psalms offer several examples of prayers we can learn from, we can identify with, and we can use. They're called prayers or songs of lament. And these are pretty easy to find in the book of Psalms. All you have to do, honestly, all you have to do is look for the words, O God, or O Lord, at the beginning of the Psalms. In fact, there are 150 Psalms, and 60 of them begin with the words, O God, or O O Lord, 60 of them. Of those 60, 52 are psalms of lament. So when you feel like lamenting, when you need to understand, when you're in the midst of grief, look for the words, O God, or O Lord, in the psalms, and you're you're heading in the right direction. These are prayers of hurting people. These are songs that sad people sing, words that sometimes become our words. These are not happy words. These are words of agony, words of pain and angst. Sometimes that's exactly the way we feel when we pray, isn't it? Psalm 13, which is our base text, it's a good place to begin to learn the art of lamenting. So I'm going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 13. David writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up the eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation." I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. See, two ways we see David experiencing despair. The first was spiritually. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And this is the beginning of that chasm. When we come to the Lord, we say, man, God is for me. He's, he's not against me. This is great. This is amazing. This is incredible. And then we begin to experience pain and, and we, we wonder kind of, oh, God's not as close as I thought he was. Okay, this is, this is interesting. And then, and then we, we continue to pray and we don't see things happening right away or, or things happen that we thought. We pray for the healing of someone who died or you know, all these circumstances begin to happen. And now we find ourselves in this conflict between what we believe to be true about God and what we're experiencing. How long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face in me. See, David's deepest despair was spiritually because he felt like God had forgotten him. 
And he also feels like God is intentionally hiding himself from him. For those of us that love God, our deepest despair when it comes will be spiritual in nature. Not saying that the circumstances we find are not gonna be grieving, but the despair that we fall into is a conflict we have to deal with, wrestling with the reality that God is for us, he is loving and he is sovereign, and yet we're faced with the circumstances we're in right now. And without answers, without hope, that is despair. But there is hope. In fact, Jesus prayed on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a quote out of Psalm 22. And and what we often fail to continue to understand is, is at the end of that Psalm or towards the middle of it, he also writes, to you they cried out and were rescued. They called to you and they were not put to shame. See, the other way David experienced despair was emotionally. He says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? See, this this despair has got deep inside of David at this point. Despair has taken control over his his mind and his heart. And every day, David's saying, I'm wrestling with these thoughts. I can't make sense of this, God. I'm wrestling with this and I'm weary and I'm tired and I have sorrow in my heart every day. Despair filled his heart. Think about that. So it's no wonder why David asked, how long must I endure this? That brings us to the question, how long does despair last? It's probably the first question we all ask when we face times of grief or or, um, intense, excruciating pain in our lives. When we look at Psalm 13, we find that David asks the same question, how long? Actually, four different times. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? How long will my enemy triumph over me? So how long does despair last? Now, there's no, there's no numerical, numerical formula in Scripture, no hidden numbers that tell us it's seven years because none of that. We don't know. God knows. Only God knows how long the despair lasts. So where's the hope? Well, David asked God if his, if his despair would last forever. See, a day in despair seems like a month, doesn't it? Every single day feels like forever. And the reality is that some people experience despair for a really long time. So what's, what's often our most, most <clears throat> requested uh, prayer in the midst of despair? God, rescue me. Just rescue. I can't take this anymore. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm dying slowly. But notice what David prays for. He says, give light to my eyes. What, is it, what does he mean, give light to my eyes? He's saying, as long as I'm in despair, my only prayer is that you, you, that you would give light to my eyes. Like, let me see, God, what you see. Let me see the, the, the reason for this. Let me see some understanding. Let me understand a little bit. Let me see why I'm in this place of the valley of the shadow of death. It's actually a cry for hope. He doesn't ask to be rescued out of it yet, but he asks for a glimpse of hope. 
And he says, give light to my eyes. And and, in other words, he's saying, because unless I I see what you see, some bad things are gonna happen. One, I sleep the sleep of death. In other words, I'm I'm headed for death, God. I see where this is headed long-term and I can't maintain this life in this deep despair. I'm headed for death. The other thing that happens if he doesn't understand or see a glimpse of hope from God is that his enemy will say, basically mock him and say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. David's asking just for a little bit of perspective. It's at this point that David makes a choice. He decides to do three things. Says in verse five, but I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord that this is, this is Yahweh. I will sing to Yahweh because he has dealt bountifully with me. And what David's saying is even in my despair, I'm gonna trust that God still loves me. I don't see it right now, but I know that he loved me enough to save me. I know that he loved me enough to answer other prayers. I know that he loved me enough to be with me in the seasons of blessing. I just don't see it now. So I'm going to trust that I'm still loved by God. And he says, I will rejoice in your salvation. Not only will I trust in your unfailing love, but I'm gonna rejoice in your salvation. See, we often rejoice after the salvation's happened after we've been delivered from our despair, then we rejoice in God. But David rejoices before it's gone. And, and uh, last year at some point, um, I was <clears throat> preparing uh, a sermon and I don't remember if, even, if it even had anything to do with the sermon, but I, I felt like God says, Josh, when are you gonna stop putting me on trial? When are you going to stop letting the the outcome of circumstances determine whether I am for you or not? I am for you always, or I am not for you ever. And it was in that moment that I just asked the Lord, I'm like, God, will you help me maintain, maintain the faith that you were always for me so that when I walk into various circumstances or when circumstances come my way that seem unfavorable, that my first question is not, God, are you still loving me? Are you still here? One of my most prayed prayers to date since I got married has been, Lord, if you decide to take Audra away from me, give me the relationship with you that I'll be okay. Because when I first got married up until even maybe five years ago, I wouldn't have, and I knew it. I knew that if God chose to take her away, he and I would not be okay. But I asked him, I'm like, Lord, if, if, if the, my, most, my most precious piece of my life, if you, if you decide that it's time for her to go, God, would you give me a relationship with you that I, you and I would still be okay? And he's done that. He's, and, and we can only prepare so much, but, but what he's done in that process has helped me realize that he is never for me, even if the most precious thing in my life gets taken away, that he is not against me. So he says, I'll rejoice in salvation. And the third decision David makes in his despair is to praise. He says, I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. 
In the midst of our despair, we recall, we write down the things, that, the good things that God has done in us. This is the beauty of, of having journals or the, 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 the beauty of, of reflecting on the Lord's faithfulness. My wife and I, last year <clears throat> for our anniversary, we decided to sit and write down our entire faith journey together since, since, since meeting each other and then up till, up till this point. And we just reflected on all the unknowns, all the scary situations, all those things, and how God just masterfully wove together the path through immense times of pain, through deep senses of, of trials and loss in our life that God was still weaving together and looking back and seeing his presence was so close to us along that journey. But it's easy to forget, right? When we're in the midst of despair, it's easy to forget. It's like there's this wall here that, that all the past goodness of God and all his faithfulness and all the praiseworthy things that we, that we would give testimony to, this wall comes up and we see none of it. And all we see is what we're in right now. And we wonder where God is. We question his love for us. See, despair not only causes us to, to fear the future, it also causes us to forget the past. Psalms like 103 Verses one through five, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is written or all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And I'll tell you something. Either there, there's two things that God has to be. He is either the most manipulative, cruel being to ever touch humanity, or he is a loving God who grieves with his people over the brokenness of humanity. Because we can look and say, God, why did you answer this? Why, were, why did you seem kind? Why did you seem close to me in this moment? And then now you have just left me. It's like, it's like, God, are you toying with me? Is this entertainment for you as I walk through this pain? Is this, is this fun for you, God? So either God is completely cruel or he is grieving with us over the things that grieve our hearts. So we're given a model in, in the Psalms. And, and many, most of the Psalms have the same, the same pathway of lament. It's first as we engage in the depth of despair through the tears of lament, we come to God as we are and we ask the hard questions with openness and honesty. God is not intimidated He's not unaware of the mess that we are. He's not unaware of the circumstances we're gonna face. He's not unaware of the questions, or I'll even go as far as to say, he's not unaware of the areas of our lives that we actually don't believe he's good. He knows we're gonna question him in these times. He's not asking for perfect faith. He's asking for a faith that grows, a faith that continues to press into him. And so we engage him with the rawness of everything we are. And then we entreat, meaning we ask him for help and relief from the pain, from the circumstances. 
We don't know how God's gonna, what God's gonna do in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our grief. We don't know, we don't know why God answers some prayer for healing and, and doesn't answer uh, prayers for healing in, in other circumstances. We don't know those things. And here's what I've come to grips with. I used to get really upset and actually fearful to ask prayers that required a definite response. I found I would skirt, well, Lord, I guess if you kind of feel like it, but hey, no big deal, God. You know, my prayers would be very safe. And what was happening was that I prayed those prayers of safety because I didn't want to have to deal with the reality that God might not want what I want in that prayer. And it would still be good for me. So we ask him for help. We ask him for relief. And then finally is we express. And this is the hard one. We express his goodness despite the circumstances we face. We express our faith, our trust, our love, even and especially in the midst of pain. The reality is whether we are followers of Christ, whether our neighbors are followers of Christ, whether we are not, does not matter. We will all navigate pain. And it's how we navigate, it's what we do with it that will lead us to a life of life abundantly or continue like many people I counsel with even today that are in their 70s, 80s that are still dealing with the bitterness and and angst of things that happened in their childhood. See, grief, the difference in grief is it just remains that, it remains grief. Lamenting takes that grief and takes it to the Lord. It expresses all the, de- all the dynamics of that grief and it goes to the Lord for help. It doesn't go to medicating. It goes to the Lord for help. It goes to the Lord for comfort. It goes to the Lord for the emotional understanding of what's happening. And when we do that, the last thing we do is we repeat it and we continue doing that. I'll have the worship team come up. See, without lament, we don't know how to process pain. Without this way to process pain, we turn to isolation, turn to bitterness and anger, which can choke out our relationship with God. I don't know if any guys in here would say amen to this, but I know when I'm hurting inside, it's not hurt that I express, it's anger. And anger, we, we know, is a secondary emotion. And for guys, it usually means we're, we're feeling hurt or wounded or offended inside. And so we can't let that show, so we let anger show. And see, God wants to get behind that. We let bitterness, we let anger creep in and it chokes out our relationship with God. Without lamenting, we won't know how to help others walk through theirs and possibly even cause more pain in their life. Without learning to lament, we may miss out on the lessons that can be learned from suffering and loss. But one thing I know for sure is that we need God. We need the body of believers We need a prayer life. We need to worship. We need to get the strength to continue moving forward even in the midst of our darkest and deepest days. And I'll tell you, I don't stand up here without having walked through some dark days. And I remember thinking, God, if you'd only rescue me, then I'd know at least that you weren't against me. Then I'd know at least you would, you, you, you love me, God, and I feel alone, I feel abandoned, and it just seemed like it goes on and on and on and on. 
And we medicate and we realize that's not working. We, we go to this and we go to that. And we try to go everywhere but to the Lord because we just don't understand. And it's not until we go to the Lord in the midst of the pain and say, I choose to trust you and I don't understand it, but you're the only thing that I can trust. If you're allowing this in my life, then I have to trust that you're gonna make something good of it. But it's the hardest thing we'll ever go, we'll ever walk through. There is no pain like heart pain. So we need, we need him when the sun is shining, when all seems good, and we need him when we are in the valleys of the shadow of death. And one thing that makes our lamenting, or our crying out as Christians different from those, from that of others is one thing, we hope. We hope. It's the only thing we have. It's the only way forward as we hope. And we wake up tomorrow and we go, maybe today will be the day that God will give me relief and give me, give me resolution. And it might not be that day. And so we continue to hope until he, he opens up the eyes of our hearts, until he lets our eyes see a little bit more of the purpose of the suffering that we're going through. But we remember that suffering is never a, a causation of God. It was never his design for you and I sitting here today that, that when we grieve, the things we grieve over are the things that also grieve the heart of God. Romans 15, 13, Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Romans 5, Paul also writes, verse 2, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So the only way to turn tears into triumph is by lamenting, by going to God and expressing where we're at, asking for his help and confessing the truth about God even when it doesn't feel good to do so. Would you stand with me? These next couple songs, <clears throat> I don't know if there's more uh, appropriate songs for closing out a sermon on lament. Um, but I, I believe, especially this next song, I, I wanna encourage you if you, are, if you haven't processed out grief, if grief is still a part of what's in your life and if you're still in the process of grieving and trying to answer these questions and all that stuff, um, I just encourage you during this next song to let the, let the lyrics of this song be the cry of your heart. Um, let it be a prayer to the Lord and, and watch him, watch what he, do, watch what he does. I, I, I can't, I'm technically a counselor, I suppose, and, and I, I counsel with many people often, and I'll tell you there isn't an answer I can give people that's a better answer than the ones they get from the Holy Spirit. And so we can put all sorts of things in place, all sorts of phrases to help you and verses to, to memorize, but the truth is it is God who speaks to the heart of man.